It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Touchdown, Los Angeles. You are Locked On Rams, your daily Los Angeles Rams podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I say, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. What's happening? What's good? It's your boy Bear Motter of Rams Podcast, but this is Lockdown Rams. Thursday edition of Lockdown Rams. Super excited. We got Jake Ellenbogen back with us again from downtown Rams. He has been with us almost around this time last year is when we started picking up conversations, which is kind of exciting uh, to think about and really seeing how much we've covered over the past year and really what has gone on with this Rams team and and what our issues were last year, and now here we are looking at what is going on with this team this year. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk about the latest moves from the Rams and some of the coaching options uh, and openings that we have here on the staff and, and what is the level of importance with those coaches and then the free agents. Those You can't forget that we still have a lot of players sitting out there in the free agent world that we've got to make a decision on. So McVay is a busy man, and so are we as we talk about all this here on the show. Don't forget to go give us a follow on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Himalaya. Hit the subscribe button, share with a friend, leave a five-star review if you're feeling it. Send in a question. We're going to hit up some more questions from the listeners today. Uh, we did our episode yesterday, uh, two segments full of them. So I think we got another two segments full of some questions. We'll get through as many as possible. I'm going to shoot them over to Jake and we'll both kind of discuss uh, as well as try to give us a follow on social media. You can find me at LA underscore Rambling Bear on Twitter. Also, Lockdown Rams. You can find Jake at JKDTR as well as Downtown Rams. And check out the website. They are getting back to some amazing content up there. Jake just put up an awesome article the other day as well as they continue to add to their uh, group there. So if you guys are looking to get a little bit more involved, hit Jake up and uh, maybe you got a role over there as well that you might be interested in. So fully loaded show for you guys today as we kind of lean into uh, the end of the week here. We'll have Serena Morales on tomorrow to kind of wrap up uh, her season recap and figure out what are some of the next moves as well. So look forward to that show tomorrow. But with that, let's just get right into it. The Rams now have three open positions on their coaching staff and a handful of key free agents. Question is, where do you start? I'm Bear Motter of Lockdown Rams. I'm joined by Jake Ellenbogen of Downtown Rams. And this is your lead story. Jake, D coordinator, special teams coach, running back coach, all vacant right now. But there are also a pretty decent list of players in free agency. When you look at this, where do you think the Rams should put their focus first? Players? coaches both at the same time what are your thoughts yeah I mean that you know that's a really good question I, I personally would lean more towards the coaching staff um, you know I think it's really important that they get that all together before they you know start going crazy um, I mean from I we don't really know anything right and I, I don't really know anything but it looks as though Jalen Ramsey might be kind of, you know, teasing the fact that he may or may not have signed or agreed to a contract extension with the Rams. Uh, shouted out his agent, you know, that he was blessed. Players normally don't just do that. Right. <laughs> so, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, there's some interesting things. Definitely monitor uh, Jalen on Twitter and Instagram, what have you. But, um, you know, that would be a really good 
way to kick off the offseason by, you know, extending the best cornerback in the league. Um, with that being said, though, I think you do have to look at the coaching. And I think, you know, you have to start with, uh, you know, the most important position. And I think the most important position on that coaching staff has to be the defensive coordinator spot. I mean, when you look at the potential of Joe Barry going to USC, um, which, by the way, is his alma mater, which, by the way, he's coached at. Um, he's actually been there a few times. Um, had different, you know, coaching stops there and had, you know, stops with the the Buccaneers and Redskins. But Joe Barry leaving the staff um, would mean that there's only a select few of guys that understand Wade's scheme, understand a little bit about what they were doing. And those guys would be guys like, um, you know, Vera Giro um, and then, of course, Aubrey Pleasant. And, I mean, really, you could make the argument Chris Shula, who joined the Rams in 2017, with Sean McVay. Chris Shula is somebody I mentioned in my article to watch out for. I don't think he's necessarily going to be the guy for the defensive coordinator spot. But what I will say is this guy has an extensive history with Sean McVay, going back to Miami of Ohio when he was actually his teammate. Wow. It speaks volume that Sean McVay, as soon as he gets to pick his coaching staff, this guy, Chris Shula, who, by the way, has a very prestigious last name, if you don't right. know football. Um, this guy, Chris Shula, happens to be on his staff from the get-go. Another interesting one, Aubrey Pleasant. We've talked about him before. I've mentioned him so many times. He's the defensive Sean McVay from what everyone has been, you know, kind of ramping him up to be. Um, but you know, we won't know if he is or he isn't until, you know, he finally gets an opportunity. So, you know, I think the decision to move on from Wade Phillips was an interesting one, but I also think it was the plan all along right. because I think they wanted to churn in, uh, Aubrey Pleasant. I think that was the guy that, I mean, you know, he started off, um, at, uh, Wisconsin playing football from 2005 to 2008, um, you know, somebody that then went to Michigan as a graduate assistant, uh, started off on the offense, believe it or not, with the Cleveland Browns, moved over to the Redskins, was an offensive assistant, uh, you know, his first year with the uh, with the Redskins. And of course, he worked on the same side of the football as Sean McVay when he was a tight ends coach. And then on top of that, he switches over, pivots over the defensive side, works with guys like Perry Fuel who, if you don't know who he is, he is actually an interesting candidate to be a defensive coordinator for the Rams. Uh, I'll get into that in a little bit. But he um, he's actually the interim coach for the Panthers this past year after they fired Ron Rivera. He's no longer there because they just hired Matt Rule, and it was a great hire. But Perry Fuel has actually had two interim head coaching spots in his career, which speaks a lot of volume about how people uh, perceive him in this league. And on top of that, Raheem Morris, who's also a former uh, you know, head coach in this league. Um, Pleasant had the opportunity to assist him and Perry Fuel as a defensive backs assistant. Then he moved over to the Rams, became a defense backs coach, and he's kind of been grooming into that next guy. Um, you know, the Rams, they don't block anybody from being interviewed. Sean McVay doesn't believe in that. Right. Um, so I wouldn't put too much stock into, well, they were going to let him go. No, no, no. Sean McVay is, it's not about letting anybody go. Sean McVay just wants these guys to, you know, move up the rungs because he knows what it's like. You know, I mean, he started off, um, you know, with, as an assistant, basically an intern 
you know, with John Gruden and worked his way up the rung. So he understands how this thing works. And Sean McVay set a precedent by being, you know, a 30-year-old head coach, the youngest head coach ever. You now have guys like Aubrey Pleasant who are, you know, in their early 30s that have a shot to, to move up the ranks. And, you know, another guy to mention uh, on the Patriots right now, uh, you know, former linebacker Gerard Mayo at 33 years old. Uh, so, you know, there's definitely going to be some interesting um, you know, options for the defensive coordinator spot. But, you know, Pleasant is somebody that Zach Taylor, who was with the Rams last year, yes, that Zach Taylor interviewed uh, to potentially join him in Cincinnati as the defensive coordinator. And, you know, Rams fans were celebrating because he chose Lou Anarumo uh, from the Giants, and that was a little bit of a shock. Yeah. Uh, I don't think, you know, a lot of fans expected that. So, no, I'm excited about the whole Aubrey Pleasant thing because you're right. I mean, we've also seen in the mm. past few years a lot of talent that McVeigh has kind of, I don't want to say helped groom, but also have worked with that he has kind of put energy into kind of go into other teams and, and move on and start their own career. Well, now he's hitting the reset button in a couple different positions and he can take some of those guys that are on the up and coming and hopefully plug them right into the system and continue to work with them. Aubrey Pleasant is a pure example of that. Like you mentioned, interviewing last season, didn't get the job, stuck around. And Sean McVay's no idiot. He understands that there are guys on his staff not only the ones that have already gone, but that are still on his staff that other people would be interested in, and they're not going to sit around and be uh, position coaches forever. So they've got to give that opportunity or just start over and filling up those spots. So I don't know if he wants to kind of you know flush the whole system and really pick up a lot of people. He talked about Joe Barry, maybe to USC. And then if you're talking about maybe not giving that opportunity to defensive coordinator, does Aubrey Pleasant want to stick around? Does he look to kind of move up somewhere else, whether that's in the college ranks or in the NFL? So I really like that. I also love, you know, anytime you hear anything about Aubrey Pleasant's, the, the, the players absolutely love him, his energy, uh, the passion he brings into things. So I think it would be a great fit with what Sean McVay's doing. And, and I think you're exactly right with starting with the coach because we've got a lot of questions on the player side of things. So uh, you want to understand what is your coach trying to get done? And, and we can talk a little bit more about the 3-4 versus the 4-3. And, you know, different players are going to fit into that mold. And, and what we're going to do schematically is going to be important with who we want to keep around uh, on the roster and really moving forward. So uh, I think that's the definitely the one-two step that you want to do is fill out your coaches and then from there get an idea of really what this identity is going to be moving forward, which was probably the biggest issue last year, especially offensively. But uh, we'll see how it all shakes out. But we've got more to come uh, with Jake. We've got some awesome conversations we're going to continue to have. And more questions from our listener, Lockdown Rams Thursday. we got more questions from you guys coming up. And I say hell yeah, hell yeah. The Suns rise in Orlando, but their playoff hopes set in the West. From our local experts to your ears, these are the biggest stories on the Locked On Podcast Network. Despite finishing a perfect 8-0 in the NBA bubble, the Phoenix Suns are leaving without a playoff berth. Check out Locked On Suns today for a postmortem on an amazing run by Devin Booker and company. That's all thanks to tiebreakers and a Karis LeVert jumper that rimmed out, giving the Portland Trailblazers a win and a meeting with the Memphis Grizzlies in a play-in series for the Western Conference 8th seed. That begins on Saturday. Beginning today, all of the Locked On NBA playoff teams will be previewing the playoffs with special crossover shows. Scout your team and your opponent on the Locked On Podcast Network. 
Local experts on the biggest stories. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is Vinny Iyer, host of Locked On Fantasy Football with your Locked On Fantasy Football Edge of the Day. Tight end is a prime position for finding fantasy football sleeper value in 2020. After George Kittle and Travis Kelsey go off the board early, don't worry. You can wait and still get some great return for a starter at the position. The two prime targets both have HH for initials, the Chargers Hunter Henry and the Falcons Hayden Hurst. A healthy Henry can have a monster downfield receiving season for new QB Tyrod Taylor and carries high TD upside. As for Hurst, he's stepping right into the productive spot vacated by Austin Hooper in Atlanta as key support to Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Trust in Henry a little earlier and Hurst a little later to give you some pleasing tight end one results. Get the edge in your fantasy football league every day by listening to Locked On Fantasy Football on your preferred podcast provider. So Jake, I reached out to social media the other day and I got a lot of awesome questions. So many that we couldn't even get through them yesterday. Uh, and I want to kind of keep the discussion going and hear from our listeners and what they want to talk about. And I'm going to pitch a couple of them to you and we can kind of continue that conversation. Uh, the first one comes from Louis Skelton. Uh, this is my man down in New Zealand. Uh, and he is a big Rams fan and he always does a great job interacting with us. And uh, he wants to kind of know, this is more on the offense side of the ball, but he said, with the emergence of Tyler Higby as an offensive weapon, what do you think McVay's plans will be for Gerald Everett? As he also has proven that he can ball uh, out as well. And kind of, not even really Tyler Higby's emergence, but more so the way Johnny Munt got in at the end of the year and was able to really show right. everyone that, look, this guy was a, you know, athletic tight end that, you know, could really catch the ball at Oregon and, you know, was hampered by injuries. But this guy learned how to block. And that's something that Gerald has still not been able to do. He actually got himself hurt in the Ra- uh, the Ravens game due to some inconsistent uh, you know, blocking uh, technique and, and, you know, really caused him to, to hurt his knee in that one. And, and, you know, he wasn't the same. It ruined his season. So, you know, I, I think um, I, I like Gerald Everett. I've had an opportunity to speak with him and meet him. He, you know, great guy. Um, and obviously, you know, he he has had some moments in the NFL. Um, but even still, you know, somebody like Evan Ingram, you know, for the Giants was considered, you know, just a receiving tight end, couldn't block. Even he's started to show a little bit that he can block. I think it's a legit concern, especially in this type of offense where everybody blocks. Um, you have your wide receivers that are blocking better than your tight end, and that says a lot. So Gerald really needs to improve upon his blocking, but I think it might even be too late uh, just because they don't have a lot of picks. Um, you know, I I could see you know them trading away Gerald Everett, or maybe they trade him away and they grab somebody, you know, kind of a similar situation like Austin Corbett because, you know, paying Jerry Goff and, and guys like that, you're going to have to find uh, talent cheaper and, and in different ways. And I think, you know, maybe you trade Gerald Everett away for somebody that you might believe would operate better, not necessarily a tight end, but a different position that would operate better in kind of a change of scenery type role. Same thing right. with Austin Corbett leaving the Browns. Yeah, there's definitely some options there, whether it's draft capital or a player for player. Uh, the interesting thing is, and I think, you know, I totally agree with what you're saying. And I think that is kind of the the lead there would be Gerald Everett. You know, at this point has kind of been shown with what Higby's done that he can be a movable piece. But at the same time, 
if they're looking to save some dollars, Tyler Higby's emergence might have excited some teams around the league as well, and they might be able to get out of that contract a little bit just by trading him and moving him along again for tra- draft capital or another player and then going really doubling down in what they think of Gerald Everett when he's healthy and you mentioned Johnny Munt kind of coming in and being that blocker that they kind of build packages around Gerald Everett as an offensive guy catching the ball but then bringing Johnny Munt in as more of a blocker and using it that way uh, but it's funny how you know we talked coming into the season that we thought the tight end position other than those two Higby and Gerald Everett that you know, we had a lot of different options and we weren't sure about who was going to do what. And now here we are. I feel very confident with what we're going to do moving forward. And really, the Rams could also just say, screw it. We're going to keep both guys. We like having, the, you know, when when Gerald is healthy, we haven't had a, scene, a chance to really see those two guys uh, work where they've both been really good. It was either Gerald Everett was doing good or Tyler Higby. So uh, th- that's a very interesting position to watch for and, and what the Rams are going to do. I wish we could kind of have a you know, be a fly on the wall in McVay's office for not only this conversation, but a ton of them for what they're going to do going moving forward. But uh, we'll go to the next question here. This one comes from Clarence Tolliver, and he says, who do you think will get the franchise tag this year, Littleton or Fowler? And I'm going to add to that. Do you One, do you think if it's not those two, is there anybody else, or do you think the Rams pass on the tag altogether? Yeah, so good question. Uh, I think that they will end up using the tag just to buy them some time to negotiate with Corey Littleton, which they'll ultimately get a uh, long-term deal done with him. Uh, So I think it's going to be with Littleton. I think Fowler, there's a good chance that he's not a Ram next year, unfortunately, um, because I think that they do have... Uh, you know, some faith in, in somebody like Chris Shula that's done a nice job with the offense, uh, the outside linebackers. Uh, he's been the outside linebacker coach there since 2017. So I think he's done a nice job. He's shown them, uh, you know, that he can develop talent. And, uh, you know, you look at guys like Obanai Okoronkwo and Natras Patrick um, and even Samson uh, Ibukam, who had a better year this year, kind of quieter uh, because he wasn't a true starter. Um, I think those guys offer, uh, you know, some upside and then, you know, not to mention there's going to be some guys in this draft. I think the Rams will target, Um, you know, there's a couple guys I like uh, that might be able to fall to them uh, with their their second round pick, Um, you know, but that's the thing, you know, we'll we'll see. Um, But I just don't think I, I think when you look at the draft, you see, you know, Dylan Moses going back to to Alabama. You see, um, you know, Chaz, I believe is Chaz Cherie. I might have butchered that last name, but Chaz, anyway. Uh, we'll call him Chaz. For yeah. <laughs> but uh, he's he's from UNC. He's actually a converted linebacker, was really interested in him uh, in this draft, and, and he's now going back to, to college. But it, it's not just him. It, it seems like literally every top linebacker, um, is going back to college. So it's a really weak linebacker group, which makes Corey Littleton's price tag a little bit higher, which makes Corey Littleton more of a necessity uh, because the Rams aren't going to be able to just replace him in the draft. There's not really, there's not going to be a lot of opportunities to do so. So I think when you look at the edge spot, um, you know, there are definitely some guys. I really like Curtis Weaver uh, out of Boise State, uh, Jabari Zaniga out of uh, Florida, you know, there are different guys um, that play the edge position that, you know, you could definitely target in the second, third round. Uh, Whereas I don't think there's going to be as many linebackers. And I know you can't really justify your reasoning based on, you know, guys that haven't even played in the NFL. Um, But I, I think it is a serious thing to point out. And I also think that they prefer Littleton 
over Fowler. And I want to say one quick thing on top of that to kind of, you know, add on to what I'm saying about Littleton. I think a dangerous game is what that people play is thinking, well, the Rams developed Littleton. Right. They turned an undrafted rookie free agent into what looks to be a potential all pro someday. That's a dangerous way of thinking because you're kind of teetering along the lines. Well, is it really Littleton or is it the coaching staff? Because guess what? If it was, you know who had a big, big role in developing Littleton? The special teams coordinator. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to, you know, go that route with Coach Bones now gone. Uh, so I, to me, I think they found somebody. They found a homegrown player. You keep him. Yeah, I think it's it's that simple. You got to find a way to keep him and don't let. Oh well, linebackers. You know, we you don't have to overpay linebackers. Look, I don't care. I, I want talent. I want guys that can play with consistency. I want a linebacker that has a nose for the football, is understanding of what's around him, has awareness, but on top of that, he has football IQ and somebody that can make a play when you need him to. Littleton has forced turnovers. He's blocked punts. I mean, this is somebody that could be who should be around for a long time. And when you talked about all the things you want in a linebacker and, and you kind of wrapped it up there, that's everything Corey Littleton is. And right now he's getting paid, uh, you know, pennies on a dollar. And if you were to franchise tag him, uh, a linebacker right now sits at fifteen point four million dollars. And I don't know. And I think you said, yes, you tag him to try to get the deal done to buy a little bit more time. I think that makes total sense. Uh, but at the end of the day, do you really want to do what you did with Fowler, which which you gave him 14 million last year? Do you want to do that again with him? Let's say you somehow find a way to get a deal done. One, you probably can't afford both of them, but do you want to tag another guy for 15 million dollars for one year and then just be in this position again? Yes, uh, as you look down in the future, then it kind of gives you again some more time to maybe move some of the other assets to kind of free some space. So it's kind of just again a stall tactic to try to get some money. But here's an interesting one as far as a franchise tag that. I kind of talked about it a little bit yesterday, but even looking at the number, uh, maybe I'm completely wrong here, but who knows what's going to happen with kicker Greg Zerline uh, and what really he's expecting as far as the money-wise and kicker in long-term, but to uh, franchise tag a kicker, uh, $4.9 million, maybe a, a high price for a kicker, but to keep Greg around to see if he is truly fading, if he truly needs uh, you know, bones in there to execute to maybe, you know, drop 5 million on a kicker for one year, or like you said, uh, tag them if you find a way to get a Littleton deal done and then try to work out a long-term deal with him. But other than those, the linebacker position or the kicker, I'm not seeing much else jumping off the table as far as uh, we don't really have a lot of taggable guys right now at positions that you'd want to give up that money. So uh, great question. Uh, that was from Clarence. Great question, Clarence. And actually what we're going to do is we're going to step aside. I've got a handful of questions left. And uh, if you don't get your question answered today, we will roll this over. Maybe I'll ask Serena a question or we'll jump off next week with some of these questions. But we got more questions coming up from the listeners right after this. And I say, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. We are back. It is the Thursday edition. We got Jake Ellabogan from Downtown Rams. I am Bear Motter from Lockdown Rams, and we are throwing it down. We are listening to you guys and letting you drive the conversation with some really awesome questions. And I've got to get this next question up because 
Uh, my man dropped two questions on me yesterday, and I kind of ignored his first one because it was about bones, and I brought it up. But it's the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. James Kroger, uh, former co-host of Rams Podcast and here on Lockdown Rams. But his other question uh, was pretty good, and I, I want to save this also because Jake... Uh, has had some insight on this and had a really good tweet that caught my attention and really caught the attention of of Rams Nation. But he asks, is anyone in line to replace Skip Pete? Also, should this give us new optimism on an improving running game for next year? I like that because first off, it wasn't just are you going to re- uh, like who should replace him? It's does this give you optimism for the running game? Right. Because Here's the thing that no one talks about. Skip Pete was the running back coach uh, in the 4-12 and season where, you know, Todd Gurley referred to the offense as a high school offense. It was awful. Yes. So this is not his first rodeo of having a, you know, unsuccessful, you know, season with running backs. And I think that's that's definitely, I think it's definitely important. You know, I, I think it's something that needs to be said. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not hating on the guy, but, and I think the other thing that goes with that, and I'll let you finish your answer here too, but you know, this is kind of well-documented, but, uh, that Todd Gurley went to bat when Sean McVay came in and said, Hey, I want to keep this guy around. And as Sean McVay coming into a new program, trying to make one of his franchise studs happy, I think that was also kind of like, all right, let me be peaceful here. And, you know, he's not a terrible coach and we can keep him around, but that time has run its course, and as you mentioned, he was a part of that you know, bad Todd Gurley year, and then obviously this year we didn't see anything, especially when it was a big challenge year, right? He went out and drafted another running back. They brought back Malcolm Brown, and also they said, hey, we got to have a better game plan of how to keep Todd Gurley involved, but also utilize some of these other backs, and I don't think it was executed very well, whether that's from Sean McVay and or Skip Pete, but... Uh, you know, obviously Sean McVay's not going anywhere. So Skip Pete kind of ran his course. And if we're talking about going younger, I know he was in his late forties, if not into his fifties. So, uh, trying to bring in some, you know, fresh ideas in that position group also makes sense. So I'll let you kind of finish on maybe thoughts on who you thought might fit there and, you know, getting it back to the level that we expect. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, there, there are definitely a lot of names and I mean, it's, it's an important thing because I I think, you know, the position coaches kind of get, you know, underrated. Um, I do think they matter. I do think that they are uh, helpful at developing talent. So, you know, I want to take a look at a a list that I kind of compiled, you know, doing my research and such, because it's kind of hard to do research on running back coaches when you're like, Who's going to, you know, come to the Rams and be a running back coach? You know, is it going to be a lateral move? Are there going to be, you know, coaches around the league that are running back coaches that will just go to the Rams, similar to maybe uh, Eric Henderson, you know, leaving the Chargers in kind of a bizarre move where it seemed like they really had high hopes for him. And, I mean, he's he's a young guy and moved right onto the Rams defensive line coach position. Like, it's really interesting. Um, So, you know, with that being said, I kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, I'm not really looking at anybody in the league right now. I'm looking at more of the college coaches. I think they're really the interesting um, options here. And, you know, first and foremost, let's just look at Clemson. Their OC and their running back coach right now, Tony Elliott. Why would he leave Clemson uh, as the OC and go to the Rams as a running back coach? Um, Well, I'll tell you right now, here's the thing. And this is the really interesting thing about the Rams coaching staff and why they're going to be one of the more exciting, uh, you know, coaching staffs to kind of go after and, and, you know, talk to their, you know, the coaches will talk to their agent and try to get him a job in LA. Uh, first and foremost, you get Tony Elliott, Clemson OC and slash running back coach to come to the Rams. 
he may be settling. It may appear that he's settling for a lesser job as a running back coach for the Rams. But first off, he's in the NFL. Second, he's going to be a team I expect to be, you know, a top three team in the NFC next year. Um, Third, uh, he's going to be around Sean McVay. And uh, fourth, Sean McVay has a lot of turnover on that coaching staff. So whether or not he gets plucked and goes and ends up being maybe a coach or an offensive coordinator in the NFL, he might be, you know, promoted. Um, You know, Sean McVay gets poached quite a bit on his coaching staff. So I think it really opens up that door for really anybody to come over and be a position coach. But uh, not just Tony Elliott. I mean, obviously you see, you know, the work that he's doing uh, with, with Travis uh, ETN. And I mean, just looking at, you know, the, the Clemson offense with, you know, Trevor Lawrence and, you know, Richard, like uh, Justin Ross and I mean, T Higgins, it, it's all there. Right. But then you look at Ron Gold, and, and he's a really interesting one uh, because, you know, I know some people are like, really, Stanford's running back coach? Like, why? Ron Gold, it's not really all about what he's doing right now. It's about what he's done over, you know, the course of, uh, you know, the last few years. And, I mean, you oh, know, 100%. talking about, you know, coaching the likes and developing the likes of such guys like Marshawn Lynch, J.J. Arrington, Justin Forsett, Javid Best, Shane Vereen, Bryce Love. I mean, there's been others, and I know people will say, well, not really any of those guys are going to be Hall of Famers except maybe Marshawn Lynch. But I'll stop you right there and saying it's not about being Hall of Famers. This guy's doing his job as a college coach and developing guys and getting them to the NFL. Let's not forget Justin Forsett. He's had, you know, he had kind of a rough start to his career, but had kind of revitalized his career in in Baltimore. Javid Best had a a solid start to his career and kind of tailed off. Shane Vereen was one of the best scat backs in the league at one point, and Bryce Love was one of the most exciting players in college football. So, you know, let's not just discount Ron Gold. Um, Next, Tony Alford. And if you know who Tony Alford is, I'm not shocked because he's the assistant head coach and running back coach at Ohio State. So, I mean, that means he's, you know, been around the likes of Ezekiel Elliott and J.K. Dobbins and Curtis Samuel. I mean, the guy knows a thing or two about the running back position and offensive talent in a sense. So um, why would he come to the Rams? The same thing I said. You know, you get an opportunity. It's kind of that, hey, I'll, I'll take a lesser role in a higher league right now and then you know I'll work my way into this organization and now Sean McVay who is totally cool and isn't going to you know stop me from interviewing anywhere well now I know that you know I I can feel free to move up the the rungs as long as I continue to do the job my best to the best of my ability and I do believe that Tony Alford is an interesting one there another guy Del McGee uh Georgia running back coach assistant head coach I, do I really have to tell you about what Georgia is doing right now with running backs? Uh, I mean, right. Sony Michelle and and DeAndre Swift, and I, I mean, it's it. The list just goes on there, you know, with Nick Chubb and you was know, he there he, with Todd he Gurley? Was there after, yeah, okay. yeah. Good question. He was there after Todd Gurley, um, so you know, it wouldn't be because of Todd Gurley. But I'll get more into that uh, in two names from now. Um, then the next guy is uh, Jawan Sider. I think that's how you say his name, Jawan Sider. Uh, Penn State running back coach, Miles Sanders and uh, Saquon Barkley. If you're going to talk about anybody that's not really getting any mention, um, and this isn't the the running back coach that Todd Gurley had, this is Anthony Jones. I want people to know who Anthony Jones is because right now he is minding his own business. He's in Memphis, and he's coaching running backs uh, to, to go the extra mile. 
Okay. Uh, yes, he's got the familiarity with, uh, you know, Daryl Henderson, but I mean, it's not just what he has with Daryl Henderson, right? It's about what this guy has meant to Memphis. Because the thing about Anthony Jones, and again, you don't have a ton to go off of, but what you will say is that Memphis running backs just do their job, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's really what it is. Like, it wasn't just Daryl Henderson. It was Tony Pollard, you know? And, and, and I think that's the thing is, like, people don't realize, like, Tony Pollard and Daryl Henderson were unbelievable. But then it doesn't just stop there. No. Because they have a running back this past year who kind of did what Henderson did. Kenneth Gainwell. He was a freshman. Literally a freshman comes in, has 13 rushing touchdowns, 1,459 yards, averages 6.3 yards per carry. I mean, that that's those are some good stats. I know it's college. I do. But, you know, Daryl Henderson was around, uh, you know, he, he averaged 8.9 yards a carry. And then you had Tony Pollard averaging 7.1 yards a carry. And then on top of that, you have Patrick Taylor, the, the senior. Do you realize that Patrick Taylor went over 1,000 yards rushing the same year Daryl Henderson had 1,900 yards rushing. Mm. Daryl Henderson almost had 2,000 yards. That's crazy. Pollard had 552, but what did Pollard do very well? He caught the football. So this guy has experience with uh, backs that can you know run, but also that, that can catch out of the backfield. I think he would be huge for Henderson, but he would be huge in the fact that this guy just develops talent. I think that it, it's fair to say that. I love it because your list, and again, we don't know what the direction Sean McVay is going to go and what the interest is from certain um, you know, coaches within the NFL and wanting to move around. And you talked about some of the coordinators in college and why would you jump from being Clemson OC to coming in and being a running back coach? And you explained it so perfectly that it's a stepping stone to get to the next level. We saw uh, Rule had his press conference today and he talked about why did he want to go to the Panthers? And he said, he loves football and he wants to play and coach. He loves football and he wants to coach at the highest possible level. And that's the NFL. And he had an opportunity. He took it. And I think a lot of those coaches have the same mentality that they want to get into the NFL and find a way. And we've seen in the years past, just the short years that Sean McVay has been here, that he is pumping out people and bringing them where they can then launch their career into the next level. And I think that is the definite very sensible uh, idea. And, and then the other thing that I saw in the list that you talked about, and you explained it really well too, is is the development that they've done and looking at the core of what they've done. And yes, even going you know um, to the coach that you're talking about with uh, Stanford and, and saying, yeah, you may not know all the names or even Memphis, you may not know all the names that came out, but he's taking what he gets and he's getting maximum uh, you know output out of those guys. So that's the exciting thing is is then throwing him into the mix of three great running backs that we have and saying, well, now work with this. Uh, and, you know, the guy down at Georgia, I'm sure Todd Gurley, even though he didn't coach Todd Gurley when he was down there, he is very well connected down at that organization. So uh, at the university still. So I'm sure he knows him very well still to this point. So it would be an interesting uh, look there. But I love it because I think all those guys bring something 
to the table. And as you mentioned, that stepping stone, if you want to get out of college and if you're trying to get into the biggest show that there is, that is the NFL, you understand that you got to start somewhere and a running back coach and understanding what Sean McVay does as far as pumping out and really giving people an opportunity to take a role and run with it. I think it makes it for a very interesting job opening. And I'm really curious. I mean, as much as I am with the D coordinator, I'm almost more curious about our running back coach than the special teams coordinator. And I think that's something that we can talk about next time we get on here as well. Uh, but great question, Mr. Kroger. Look at you. Caused a whole little 10-minute talk here on the <laughs> running back coach. So uh, I know he's going to love that, that his, his question just landed amazingly. So, uh, James, great question and appreciate it. And appreciate all your questions. Again, I've got about four or five left that we will get to uh, tomorrow and into next week. So uh, if you didn't hear yours yet, I got it written down. I'm not going to forget you. And if I did, just shoot me a message. You'd be like, yeah, what's up, bro? Why'd you skip me? And I'll make sure I'll get you a shout out on the show. So everyone, thank you so much for the questions. Uh, Mr. Ellenbogen, Mr. Ellenbogen, uh, thank you so much for all of your uh, deep dive into the college world and these coaches and just your opinion on all this stuff. We always appreciate talking to you. And it is crazy to think about a year ago is when I reached out on Twitter and said, hey, you want to have a conversation? Just do a, a one little podcast here. And here we are a year later. And we've basically done it every single week since then. So <laughs> I appreciate everything that you bring to the show here and, uh, you know, kind of sharing some of this stuff with us and just talking Rams football on a weekly basis. So we appreciate it. And uh, we look forward to talking to you again soon. Hey, absolutely, man. I, I always love doing so. And um, just real quick, uh, Todd Gurley's running back coach's name was Brian McClendon. Uh, he was at Georgia. Right now he's at South Carolina, and he's the wide receivers coach. And South Carolina, of course, you know, with Debo Samuel and, and Brian Edwards coming up in this draft. It's it's there, it's a pattern, man, you know, when you see these guys developing. And, and I actually want to, to make this – I want to make a point of this. When you see random like the schools that just are churning out talent from the same spot, right? Like when Colorado's secondary had all those guys, like they yeah. had Chidobe Awuzie and they had Tedrick Thompson and they had Akello Witherspoon. Like, you know, maybe just do your research and check out, you know, what they're doing because it's it's always interesting to me, um, you know, to see like Kevin King, you know, with Washington and then Sidney Jones and Taylor Rapp, and it's like Washington, they're they're churning out secondary talent, you know, and, right. and Byron Murphy, and, and it's just like it, things like that. Like when you see um, a, a one I want to bring up right now, Eastern uh, Washington, you know, Cooper Cup, you know, uh, Kendrick Bourne, and, uh, you know, I mean, no one's talking about him um, because, I mean, he's not like a legit receiver yet, uh, but Nassimba Webster, you know, it's it, – Things like that, little things, they kind of trickle in, people take notice, and then all of a sudden that guy gets scooped up. And then you have in, you know, a quote tweet from Adam Schefter saying, yep, this is everything I heard is that this is somebody that the league was buzzing about. He's been doing this, and you know, teams have kept an eye on him. And you know, sure enough, this is, you know, this is what's happening. However, you know, with Joe Judge, I don't really know where that came from. <laughs> so right. don't ask me. But uh, there, there are other you know, ones that have worked out. So just keep, keep, keep them, you know, keep an eye on that. Hey, if he Jones guy with Memphis, he may not be the Rams running back coach, but I'll tell you right now, um, he's going to be in the league and he's going to be in the league soon. Cause he, he's on to something. He's doing it right. 
And uh, there are a lot of guys out out there like him, and you have to make sure that you find him before someone else does. Yeah, and recruiting only goes so far. What do you do when they get in the building? And those guys have a really good track record of getting people to the next level. So that's important, and that's something that we would very much welcome here on the Rams, especially in a down year in that running back group. So uh, appreciate it as always. And with that, you know what it is, Rams Nation. Until next time. Hey, Locked On listeners, you already love our network of NFL shows, so why go anywhere else for the fancy football information you need to know for the 2020 season? You just need to check out Locked On Fancy Football, hosted by me, Vinny Iyer. We're counting down to the season by breaking down players and teams every day. It's no-nonsense, straight-to-the-point, smart fantasy football analysis that has only two goals in mind, helping you dominate your drafts and win your league championship. That's Locked On Fantasy Football, only on the Locked On Network.